What is up? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. And Eric, it's a busy, busy May here. And we're, this is the, we're recording this on the last day of May, May 31st. We're heading into June. And boy, we still got UCF sports going on. Isn't this great? I know the journey, the 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 road to Omaha. I haven't we're, said that in five years. We're going to be I'm excited. It's going to be football season before we know it. The way this is going, we got a lot to talk about here on this show. Um, guest today is going to be Trace Trocar, a buddy from the uh, Nightline Podcast, um, coming on to join us to talk about uh, UCF baseball. The Knights are headed back to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they are in the Tallahassee Regional. We'll have a full breakdown of that. Uh, we also got to break down NC, uh, the uh, NCAA Golf Championships, UCF finishing tied for 14th overall, uh, and also rowing with their best program finish um, in the NCAAs, and some news from here and there um, throughout the world of UCF sports. As usual, you can uh, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Sign up to get email notifications of uh, new content, new podcasts, whatnot. Uh, you can uh, look us up on Facebook as well, Black and Gold Banneret there uh you can hit us up on twitter at ucf underscore banneret i am on twitter at jeff underscore sharon and eric is on twitter at eric lopez elo don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play soundcloud and tune in all right elo let's get started let's talk a little baseball um first things first man disappointing conclusion to the um the tournament uh, the american athletic conference tournament where the knights um, got to semifinal Saturday, had to beat ECU twice, but lost uh, for the second time uh, to you know in the tournament to ECU. Uh, ECU went in to lose and get really handled pretty easily by Houston. So um, the Knights with a semifinal trip in trip to Clearwater, but it would have been nice to see what they could do against Houston. But still, that's good enough for them to get in as an at-large to the NCAA's. They're heading to the Tallahassee Regional a place where UCF is quite familiar with going uh, in a baseball tournament past. Um, the Knights are in there along with, uh, there, I got my bracket. Along, They're the two-seed of the regional. Florida State, of course, hosting the one-seed. Three-seed is Auburn. Four-seed is Tennessee Tech. Um, the Knights are one of three American Athletic Conference teams to make it. Houston is hosting, uh, and uh, USF is the two-seed in the Gainesville Regional playing against Florida, Bethune-Cookman, and uh, Maris. Who's Houston got? I th- I th- oh, there they are. I got Baylor, Texas A&M, and Iowa. Tough regional for Houston. Um, but here are the Knights. They, uh, they finish up uh, in the 30s in the RPI. Could have been a little bit better if they knocked off Houston, I think. But um, are you disappointed, surprised? What, where do you think, what did you think about how this all played out? Well, first of all, the conference tournament was my first time there. What a beautiful setting uh, Clearwater is. I mean, what a phenomenal place in the stadium. Certainly recommend people to go there at some point. uh, You know, and I had Mike Oresco on on the radio show I do on the weekends on 1080 in Orlando. And, you know, he basically said they're going to be in Clearwater through 2021, basically. Uh, And I I think it's a great call. People like it. The teams like it. Everybody likes it there. I know people... Now, people might say, well, no, we're, we're, nobody's going to these games. It's actually not accurate. There was a pretty decent crowd at the game on Saturday against East Carolina. The problem is, as you know, Jeff, being there, a lot of the fans are going to hide under the shade. So if you're watching the game on television, it looks yeah. like nobody's there. But in reality, they're actually further back. Um, yeah, because it was 100 degrees I, during the weekend. It was pretty right, hot exactly. after that storm blew through. Uh-oh. And and the thing is, I don't know what would be the answer as far as if you don't put it in Clearwater, what location are you going to put it for baseball that would guarantee people to come? You know, I don't like I don't know if necessarily, you know, having it on campus. Right. I guess that would be the answer. If you don't do it in Clearwater, it would have to be on campus. Uh, But again, if you how do you determine that if you go random like softball does where you just rotate hosts? You know, are fans just going to go out to Tampa one year when the tournament's there in Orlando? Is it going to be that different of a crowd? I don't know if it is, but uh, so I, I just wanted to share that thought. Um, what a beautiful tournament! Um, and, and you're lucky you got to you get to be involved in that every year. Yeah. That's a pretty a fortunate gig there. I got to see the setting. I'm like, man, 
that's a lot of fun. So uh, as far as the you know the East Carolina, the, the result in that, I actually went on Saturday, and I felt it was funny. I, I'll give you the story. I did the radio show, and then I went to, to cover that East Carolina game, and I actually felt pretty good because I thought at the time that Sheridan was going to pitch. I had no idea about the flu situation with the t- within the team. And it wasn't until I was listening to Mark on the car on the way there as I got closer to Clearwater where he was not even in the stadium because of the flu. And they started a uh, bar. I'm like, oh, I, I, there goes their chance of me you know, forcing a second game and probably uh, knocking off the Pirates twice. And I think that's kind of what happened. I, I almost – I almost have to, you almost, you can't really, I mean, with all the flu situations that they get ran into on the team, I think that definitely affected him. Uh, I know people will look back at the East Carolina game, the first game back on Tuesday, uh, as far as starting a midweek starter there, and they got hit pretty good by the Pirates. The Pirates had their best pitchers. So I just think they got a tough draw, Jeff. I think if UCM would have gotten a Cincinnati or even a Memphis, which has a very weak bullpen, I think UCM would have been better served. Unfortunately, they got East Carolina, and I think that kind of set them back. But, uh, you know, I thought Williams was fantastic, how they made a nice run. The bats were manhandled, and, I, you know, I had a chance to talk to Coach Lovelady afterwards. He was not happy about the approach from his lineup. And I think as you go into the NCAA tournament, that's the big question. I don't really question the pitching staff. In fact, I can make the argument this might be as deep of a pitching that UCF's ever has had in the NCAA tournament in a long time. You know, I think they're deeper than 2012, for example, but they don't have the bats that 2012 does. And that's my concern is they might get good pitching, but it may not matter if they can't score. And they're going to face some good pitching this weekend as far as Auburn and Florida State. Even if they, if they get to play Florida State, they got to get through Auburn first, who's got two great arms. And uh, that, you know, we, we had uh, Mike Lanana from Baseball America, covers college baseball. He was on Ackerman and O'Neill this week. And he said Auburn's one of the most dangerous three seeds right now in the entire field. Uh, they can win this regional. And I, and oh so boy, I think don't we need tell me that. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, that's the thing. They, they are a dangerous, one of the dangerous three seeds in this tournament. Um, so I, I, I you know, I, I rather worry about Auburn because Auburn, they've got talent there. Uh, you know, they've kind of been similar from the standpoint that their offense, has had some ups and downs, so I, I expect a low-scoring game. But, uh, yeah, let's not underestimate Auburn at all. I, I, I think this regional is loaded. And I think in talking to people, I think you can make the argument that this regional, three teams can win this region. Obviously, Florida State is the host. I think UCF with the pitching can win this regional, but I also think Auburn can win this region. I think that's what makes this regional very fascinating. Auburn struggled in a stacked SEC this year. They finished uh, 35 and 24 overall, 16 and 14 in the SEC, which was good enough for fifth in the SEC West. Uh, to give you an idea of um, of you know what they were looking at, um, uh, Ole Miss, who was right behind them, 14 and 16 in the SEC, they had an RPI in the in the 30s. They got left out of the tournament. Um, on the yep. other hand, uh, you talk about Florida State. When we played them earlier this year, uh, obviously you know the, the result wasn't good. Florida State clobbered us in those in those games that they uh, in in two of those games. Um, that was when they were a top five opponent. Um, they really struggled. At one point, they were twenty one and fifteen. They were thinking, "Wow, we will go from you know." It was almost like a replay of UCF last year. Go from a top ten team to possibly out of the tournament if this keeps up. And they had the hard part of their schedule coming up. They got hot. Um, they made it into the tournament, and uh, and now they're uh, and now they're hosting. So that's going to be yeah, – so yep. that's, again, you're right. I think you got three teams that could potentially um, Wait, ho- and, uh, could, that could potentially come out of that regional. And I think the fascinating thing is what does UCF and Auburn do on Friday? Auburn's got two great pitchers, Casey Mize and Keegan Thompson. Those are their one-two. Casey Mize uh, is 7-2 on the year, 193 ERA. He's, uh, he's one of the top pitchers in the SEC. And then you got Keegan Thompson, who's 6-4, and four, but he has a 2.43 ERA on the year. Uh, the Auburn doesn't have the depth pitching wise, and I think where I would give UCF the edge is in the bullpen. I think in the bullpen is where UCF can really differentiate itself from Auburn. But you look at Auburn's offensively; they they hit 2.75 as a team. Not a lot of power. Only 28 home runs for Auburn. Now, what's interesting about Dick Cowser Stadium? That's usually a good home run park. 
That's where Florida State hits a lot of their home runs. So I think UCF, the key for them is, are they going to be able to hit either Mize or Thompson? They're going to see one of them on Friday. And I think for Greg Lovelady, let me, put, let me uh, toss you this idea. Okay. You mentioned the Florida State series. That was in early March. This tells you how long a college baseball season is. You realize that the two starters for UCF in those two midweek games against Florida State, which was ranked number two in the country at the time, was Chris Williams and Joe Sheridan. Hmm. Lots who are now since then. Isn't that wild? And 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 now they've become the weekend guys. Um and have been tremendous. And one of the things that happened in the conference tournament was that Sheridan didn't pitch in the tournament at all uh, because of his flu situation with the health situation. So I'm wondering, Jeff, if you're Greg Lovelady, you know, a couple things. Williams and Sheridan both pitched against Florida State. So Florida State has seen both of them, whereas let's say UCF were to win Friday and play Florida State on Saturday. UCF will, will have seen We'll get to see Florida State's ace weekend guy, not the midweeks that they saw earlier this year. If you're lovely, Chris Williams, who has pitched magnificent the last month or so, uh, was tremendous in the conference tournament, dominated USF. Sheridan, I think, has been phenomenal. I'm excited about his future. Won the championship game against USF in the regular season. Does Lovelady consider starting Sheridan, for example, on Friday, who he hasn't pitched in over a week, or Williams and save Howell for Saturday in case they play Florida State. And and, and they might sound crazy because the, you know, the way the year has gone, he's gone Howell, Williams, Sheridan lately. That's the rotation. Howell is your senior guy. But I really do believe this, Jeff. I think Williams and uh, in particular and Sheridan have pitched just as good as Robbie Howell has the last few weeks. That's So it's not an indictment on Howell. It's more of a compliment on Williams and Sheridan and how much I believe in those guys. So I wonder if Lovelady considers going with Sheridan, who he hasn't thrown in about over a week. And maybe if you beat Auburn, now you get Robbie Howe, who Florida State didn't see this year, maybe gives you a better chance uh, to beat uh, the the Nulls if you get to that point. Now, he might just stay with what he's been doing and go with the senior and Robbie Howe on Friday and then go with Williams or Sheridan once again on Saturday. But it is a food for thought, isn't it? Yeah, I would. I would. My, if it were me sitting in that seat, I would say, I want to throw all my cards in on that first game and be one and zero. Because it's a double elimination four team bracket. You know, I, I would. I don't want to be in that losers bracket. I want to have one game to play with. So, give me that. Get get me my best guy out there. And if that's Sheridan, so be it. I think. I think at the very least he'll be fresh, assuming he's healthy. Um, I I would toss uh, Sheridan out there to actually throw. Him. But again. I'm not one of them. I'm not. I'm not the head coach. That's what. That's Greg Lovelady's job. To well, out, and, so. and the counter argument. The counter argument is if you throw Sheridan, who's a freshman who hasn't thrown over a week, you don't know if he'll be rusty or not. You know, you keep Howell, who's been on a relative similar schedule. Uh, that's why Robbie Howell, for example, didn't pitch on that Tuesday against East Carolina because you wanted to keep him in the same rotation. Uh, you know, same schedule that he's been all year. Same thing with Chris Williams. So I think Robbie Howell. Uh, pitched the Thursday game against Tulane, and Williams pitched that Friday game against USF, so it wouldn't be as a big of an adjustment for them. So, you know, it's just food for thought. It just tells me, I only bring it up because I, I really do believe, Jeff, that this is the most depth they've had as far as pitching arms in a regional in a long time. Uh, I can't remember them actually having three guys that you have a lot of confidence in going to a regional even the great 2001 team and i'll tell the story real brief 2001 and people that may not know ucf had one of their best teams ever they dominated the a sun yep. they were top 10 in the country that was justin they pope could, and jason arnold right yep arguably the two greatest pitchers in the history of the black and gold in this program they didn't host but they were the number one overall c they were sent to south carolina which is crazy even think about it now but one of the things that hurt that team, outside of not being able to host, was if people don't remember, on that Friday game, they played a four-seeded Princeton team. And so Jay Bergman, the head coach, decided to go with his number three starter at the time. Uh, I believe it was Buzzbit was his name. And he got rocked. Princeton hit him. And it was a slugfest. UCF had to come from behind with their offense. But because they hit all the UCF pitchers, Bergman actually had to use Arnold to close the game out. Now, fortunately, Jason Arnold, if you, you know, Hall of Famer in UCF athletics, uh, 
was a great closer, was also a great starter, so he's very versatile. But as a result of that, of using Arnold, I think it hurt UCF later in that regional. Justin Pope would end up beating South Carolina in the winner's bracket game on Saturday to pull within one game of the Super Regional. But the problem was, because you used Arnold uh, in relief on Friday, you know, he didn't have a lot left by Sunday. In fact, South Carolina won the first game of, to force the if necessary. Bergman started Arnold. Arnold started got off to a good start but kind of ran out of gas middle of the game, and South Carolina won. And I always wondered if Arnold didn't have to pitch that Friday game in relief, could we have had a different story? I think we would have. I think Arnold, if he didn't come in in, in that Friday game, I think he would have started that first game on Sunday to try to close it out. So uh, my point is that as great as that team was, there was only two. They were basically on a two-arm, you know, they were banked on two arms. I think this team's got three arms and maybe four because I actually thought Barr who hadn't started it since March, I thought he threw pretty well in that Saturday game against East Carolina. I think Lovelady, when I, you know, one of the reasons why he was frustrated with his offense, I think he was happy with what he got from his pitching staff in that Saturday game. They just couldn't get anything going offensively. And that's going to be the story to me in this regional. We could talk all we want about who he throws and how, you know, the pitching depth all we want. But if this team does get manhandled by, as we mentioned, the Auburn pitching on Friday and definitely the Florida State pitching, it could be a quick regional. I mean, that's what's so fascinating. Which offense for UCF will come out here? Can they get some offense going? Because I didn't like what I saw on Saturday. You saw when they blew out USF. That's yeah. the offense that needs to show up. But even then, that was more of a couple of big innings. It was not throughout the game. So that's my concern going into this weekend. Well, I'll take I'll take 12 runs any way you can. <laughs> but uh, so a couple quick notes before we get to Trace. Uh, of course, this is UCF's first trip to the NCAA tournament since 2012. When they were eliminated, like you said, Eric, by Stony Brook down in Coral Gables. Uh, the uh, closest the Knights have gotten to the Super Regionals was back in, I would say, 04. They were 3-2, and two, eliminated, by Tally, uh, eliminated by Florida State. In Even Drew Regional. Yep. Even Drew Regional. That guy couldn't stop hitting, man. Right. And, uh, and the Knights actually uh, forced that second, that second game on the yes. final day. Um, but then Florida State took care of business. Um, at the very end, that was yep. Jay Bergman's last trip uh, to the NCAA uh, tournament. Well, and let's address this because I know some fans are frustrated because they're back in Tallahassee. It's kind of funny, you know. I've talked about how softball always gets sent to Gainesville, and every, especially every even year, they always get sent there. With baseball, it's been Tallahassee. It's been very interesting if you look at the history of the baseball program. They've always been sent to Tallahassee. Believe it or not. Only two times ever has UCF been sent to Gainesville. It was back in 1989 and back in 1996, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah. You would think they would have been sent there more often. To put that in perspective, they've been, you know, Miami, that 2012 year, they were sent there. Um, Tallahassee, they've been sent in 93, 95, 97, 2000, 2002. 2004 and 2011. It's kind of crazy that that has happened so much. So I understand the frustration with that. That being said, I actually agree with the committee sending them to Tallahassee. First of all, I think they got the weaker of the two Florida teams. Florida is a way better team than Florida State. Don't be fooled. Uh, the, the Florida starting pitching rotation in the weekend is phenomenal. So I think, you know, based on the fact that UCF won the regular season title in the American, beat USF again in the tournament, on paper they should get the easier team. If you're going to keep both of them in the state, they should get the easier team, which is what they did. They got Florida State instead of Florida. Plus, I know some people are upset because Florida Gulf Coast got sent out of state. It's a crazy concept. <laughs> but in defense – Florida Gulf Coast is the weaker of the three two seeds. They're weaker than UCF. They're weaker than USF. So they, yeah, they got to they, they got out of the state, but they got sent to the number two team overall seed in North Carolina, which is right. a rough regional. So I actually think UCF got a fair, um, re, uh, 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 you know, seeding and placement. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, as you know, Florida State a week ago, I don't think anybody thought they were even going to host. Uh, and one of the reasons why I think UCF was being considered to host is because Florida State wasn't going to host. So, you know, Florida State's gotten hot. 
you know, they won two games at the end of the regular season at Louisville, which was number one in the country at the time. They obviously won the ACC tournament. They're a lot healthier now. They've had some injuries. You've documented their kind of drama. It was funny when we saw them here in Orlando, they were ranked number two in the country. A lot of people, you know, I thought they were a really solid team, and then they went through a lot of adversity. I think some of it, the media over-dramatized it a little bit because it was Florida State. If it was any other program, I think they were fine. I never felt they were in danger of missing the tournament, but they want to over-dramatize it. But that being said, you do have to wonder, and this is one positive for UCF, did Florida State burn kind of their – their you know kind of their fire if you will by making this late run sometimes teams do that and then kind of come out flat or just don't have it the following weekend or did florida state find the talent this was a top five preseason team before the year did they finally find that mojo it could be a dangerous team who knows but it's a fascinating regional with so many subplots and questions that i'm looking forward to seeing how it gets uh, played out all right and remember those games will be starting on uh, friday uh, noon on the deuce, noon, baby. Yeah, high noon, noon Friday deuce. on ESPN. ESPN yeah, ESPN2. So that's a good TV spot uh, for UCF as well. One more thing before we take a quick break. Um, little MLB debut to pass along to you. Eric Skoglin made his Major League uh, debut for the Kansas City Royals uh, yesterday. It was Wednesday, or excuse me, it was Tuesday, um, March, 20, uh, March 30th. Uh, of course, you all remember Eric, 6'7", left. May 30th, Sarasota. May 30th, by May, the way, ladies and gentlemen. Did I say May 30th? 30th. say June 30th? You said May. March. March? May. <laughs> May 30th. Well, they all run together. Um, you remember, But you all remember Eric, 6'7", junior out of Sarasota. Had a very successful UCF career. Um, and, uh, and he you know, came up through the Royal system and uh, made his debut. Uh, and a, quite a debut uh, it was for Eric. Um, in that Royals uniform, I, I, I was, I was following it throughout the evening through an absolute gem uh, against the Detroit Tigers, um, finished off with uh, six and a third innings, uh, gave up only two hits, shut out, uh, no runs, two hits. Uh, at one point, he retired 14 Tigers in a row. He struck out Miguel Cabrera, and he got his first major league victory, a one to nothing win. Uh, for Kansas City, so what a start for Eric Eric Skoglin um, in his yep. uh, for in his first game in the majors. I got to watch it. I watched it on my computer. Uh, quick story: I called his first ever start at UCF back in March of 2012. He pitched against Siena, went five innings, got the victory. Uh, so I've called a handful of his games at UCF uh, back in the day when I was calling baseball games his freshman year, and I think his, well, a couple in his sophomore year, I don't remember. And then also, I called a lot, few, a handful of his games in the summer of 2013 when he was actually playing in the Florida State Collegiate League here mm-hmm. in, in the Central Florida area. Yeah, the wooden bat uh, league that we have around here. Yes, uh, I did games from Tinker Field, believe it or not, and he would pitch and I got to talk to him and hang out with him a lot that summer. And he was, you know, and then he had that monster junior year in 2014 when he won the uh, Pitcher of the Year award. Um, so I was really excited for him. Great guy. Uh, it was really cool to see him do his thing. And, you know, I, he was tremendous. I mean, he outpitched Justin Verlander. Hello. Yeah. yeah interesting little a- note from that game, too, uh, that, that they mentioned in the Kansas City um, telecast. A matchup between two pitchers who were recruited by Terry Rooney. Yeah, Rooney. Uh, Rooney recruited yeah. uh, uh, Verlander to um, to Old Dominion, if I think it was in a, in a previous yes. Uh, in, yes. in, his, in his previous baseball career. So, so I thought that was pretty interesting. All of a sudden, I saw the highlight, and there's, and I think it was um, Brendan Helwig tweeted out a, a picture, yep. a screen grab yep. of the Kansas City yep. telecast. And there's Terry Rooney staring at you in a UCF cap. <laughs> They're mentioning that he had a hand in recruiting both Eric Skoglin and um, and Justin Verlander. So congratulations to Eric. Hopefully he stays up with the big club a little bit longer and uh, and and nestles in with the uh, uh, Kansas City rotation. And uh, he would uh, you know again another UCF guy in the majors. So um, that's never a bad and, thing. No, and and you know he's the number, he was the number three prospect for the Royals coming into the year. So certainly, uh, you know the big, you know, I think he's got a good future there. And don't be surprised 
if Ben Lively is next, he could be next coming up and starting for the Philadelphia Phillies maybe as early as this weekend, I've heard, because the Phillies just had a starter go on the DL, and there's right. some talk that Lively might get called up. So uh, great, 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 just great, great positive baseball momentum for this program, Jeff, I think is tremendous uh, on, uh, you know, obviously on the field right now going to the NCAA tournament, but even if you want to call it off the field with the guys performing in the pros. Good stuff. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Trace Trilco joining us for the Nightline Podcast, crossing over to the dark side with us for a little bit to talk a little UCF baseball. Stick around. We're back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trace Trelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back. And speaking of those two guys, we got one of them with us here to talk a little UCF baseball. Trace Trilko joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Here's our interview from earlier. All right, and joining us now, uh, well, Eric Lopez met him at the Orlando City game earlier today and basically kidnapped him uh, as part as part of a as part of a ransom that we're having for, that we're that we're trying to extract from Andrew Fegley, Trace Trilco from the Nightline Podcast, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. What's up, Trace? I am so confused by being on <laughs> the Banneret. I've heard of it. You know, you've been on Nightline, but now you know to be in this space and this time. It's it's very welcome. Well, we owe, well we owe you guys a couple back. So here, we, so this is the first one. So all right, let's let's dive right on in. Let's talk a little UCF baseball. So we, well, each one of us was in clear water at least for something, <laughs> uh, for some for some of these games this past week. Um, UCF got knocked off by East Carolina for the first loss of this uh, of the uh, of the tournament. Fought back, smacked the daylights out of USF. That was fun to watch. Before running into that ECU buzzsaw, uh, once again, East Carolina went on to uh, fall in the final against Houston. But um, I don't know. What do we make of this as, as the Knights are heading at, heading into the NCAAs? Now we're heading up to the Tallahassee Regional, number two seed, facing Auburn at noon on Friday. Um, Florida State is in that. Obviously, Florida State's hosting that region. Um, I think that if UCF had been able to beat East Carolina twice, that they, I don't know if they would have beaten Houston, but if they did, maybe we would have been hosting because Florida State would have been, Florida State actually struggled much of the season. Trace, what do you think based on what you were hearing? Well, you know, it's something that Coach Lovelady was asked on the announcement uh, Monday out of UCF when the, the brackets were announced, and, and he, he commented that he thought the, uh, tournament winner, uh, had it been UCF, may very well have hosted a game. I I hate to question Coach Lovely after a 40-win season, but the approach that he seemed to take with the conference tournament, it's as, as though he was preparing for the NCAA is like a, a little bit of just skipping ahead to it, and I wish they'd had a little bit more intensity. And he was unhappy with the way they bowed out, too. He didn't think the at-bats were very good and the offense struggled. Uh, in that loss to East Carolina. So, uh, you know, I do think they may have had a chance to host. You know, it's a smaller venue compared to, uh, you know, really all of the other regional sites. But uh, it would have been nice to have uh, have that home uh, game. Yeah, we've never hosted before. FSU's, I think, uh, FSU, I think, is their 39th consecutive year in the NCAA tournament. And I think they're the leaders in the clubhouse right now because Miami had their 44 se- or excuse me, 42 season streak uh no, you're this, right this 44 year. years since oh, 19, 44 okay, 44 yeah. years since 1973 fsu now is the uh the record at 40 they're the active leader at 40 so uh no question about it. now let me ask you this trace i mean we're talking about wow we're griping about maybe we should have we would have done certain things we'd be hosting if i would have had asked you in january we'd be talking about a regional what would you have said if the if you, i would have told you it had 40 wins win a regular season title 
and be making a postseason appearance here in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2012. What would have been your reaction? Well, I would have thought it was all crazy, of course, <laughs> during times of the season. I, I thought what they were doing was crazy with essentially the same players uh, year to year as they were under head coach Terry Rooney at the time. So, no, it's been a tremendous season. I've enjoyed uh, so much of it. And uh, just, you know, I would have liked to have seen, the, and from a fan's perspective, the, the pedal to the metal all the way through. So we'll see how that strategy pays off. Uh, you know, coming up, first game with Auburn, and, you know, you're going to knock heads with Florida State. You're going to get out of Tallahassee. You're going to have to beat the Seminoles at some point, maybe twice. Auburn this year comes in. They finished fifth in the SEC West, 16 and 14 in the conference, 35 and 24 overall. Florida State, um, they were they fell out of the top 25. They were six games above 500 with the tough part of their schedule coming up. And then they got super hot to close out the season. Um what are the main concerns that you see from your end right now looking at that looking looking ahead at that it's double elimination in this regional of course as usual but um is there a potential maybe that you know i'm a little bit worried that ucf might you know i believe it or not this may sound weird like looking ahead of an sec team in favor of seeing florida state kind of out there in front ucf struggled against florida state earlier this year when florida state was hot but um you worry that they might be looking ahead a little bit? No, I'm not worried about that in particular. I'm most concerned with the bats. I, I think you can go deep into this with pitching, and I certainly think they have the pitching uh, to compete and be competitive, but I think back to those Florida State games, not to be looking ahead, but they were handcuffed by the Seminoles uh, yeah. at home, you know, shut out in the one game, two hit in the other. Uh, so... I still have some concerns that they're going to put up enough offense. I know that's hard to say. You look at they put up 12 runs and knocked out the cows in, in the, the tournament, and, and they score some in bunches, uh, but they're going to be playing, um, in the case of Auburn and Florida State, the best pitchers. So, you know, you, I guess you'd have to think they're going to get a low-scoring game. Can they produce enough runs to knock out, you know, these uh, these teams' top pitchers, and, and I just don't know. You know, it, it feels like they could lose a three to two or four to three kind of game. Hard to see them winning a big explosive game against uh, the likes of Auburn or Florida State. Trace, I, I'm wondering. We were there earlier in this year. This seems like a million years ago, but it was in March when Florida State was there for the two games midweek, beat UCF both times. Uh, in fact, I remember Love Lady after they said, "Say we got exposed a little bit." What I'm interested about, I don't know if people realize this, but back then in March when UCF played Florida State, Chris Williams and Sheridan both were pitching midweeks. In fact, they both pitched those games against Florida State. Williams started that Tuesday night game. Sheridan started the Wednesday game, which makes me wonder, you know, you talked about the conference tournament. One of the things I think that hindered uh, Coach Lovelady was the fact the team come down with a bit of a flu issue. Sheridan didn't even pitch in the conference tournament at all, was not available, which makes me wonder, you know, I think we just assume that Robbie Howe will get the ball on Friday, followed by, you know, Williams and Sheridan, which has been the kind of the order over the weekends. Would could, do, you, do you think Coach Lovelady might start a Sheridan, who's fresh, hasn't pitched in over a week, or a Chris Williams on Friday against Auburn and maybe save Robbie Howe for Saturday potentially against Florida State? Does he shuffle the rotation, or do you think he keeps it with the way it's been going with Robbie Howe on Friday? Again, hard to question him. I mean, they have one of the top ERAs in the country, and he's handled the pitching staff well. He's handled the bullpen well. And I think back to those moves, you know, when it, when uh, Juan Pimentel was struggling as the Saturday yeah. starter, and Lovelady indicated after that, you know, that's you know, the, the weekend series when Sheridan came in again, some talk about would Sheridan move up to maybe Saturday. And he really liked Sheridan in that sort of save the series, win the series role on Sunday, and then elevated Chris Williams into that role. I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I wouldn't be entirely surprised, but I don't go in thinking that he's going to shuffle the, the rotation like that. I think he likes the fact that he can – pitch bar as well, just flamethrower over the strikeouts. So, you know, what's interesting, I think Robbie House had a great season, obviously, and, and sharing the honors as the American Pitcher of the Year, but, well, he's got a high ERA for the Friday starter, you know, uh, upward three-plus, uh, undefeated. 
but how do you not go with your senior ace uh, in your Friday start with Auburn? How do you not go with a guy nine and zero during the regular season and picked up a win in the conference tournament to be ten and zero now? How do you how do you not do that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I actually I, I like where Love Lady is as really giving himself that option really um, because you know you're putting your opponent in a position where they don't really know what they're going to have to prepare for it. Let's talk about the American in general here. Um, I thought that four teams were going to get in. UConn got left out. So Houston's hosting a regional. Uh, USF and UCF are both in as two seeds. UConn finished with a 38 RPI. Ole Miss was just ahead of them. They got left out. Um, I, I thought that this would have been a stronger year uh, in general, but um, but wow, UConn, uh, UConn not getting in. Do you think this, this is a, that that's a bit of a disappointment to the conference that they didn't get four? Certainly. I mean, with the fourth, uh, fifth RPI in the country, uh, they surely wanted to have four in there. What impressed me about UConn throughout the season is just by the nature of being in a cold weather Connecticut, they play so many of their games on the road. Yeah. Really road warriors. Uh, what what really did them in, they picked a bad time to get shut out. I think they got shut out at that last game, you know, got uh, walloped by, by Houston. And yeah, they got waxed the pretty good. So, so they picked a, a bad time for that. I, you know, it's hard to make this strong, strong argument for UConn in there, but I still feel it's a four-bid league. So uh, at least four uh, schools getting in. And that's, you know, the American has got to earn that respect. Uh, I know that they're doing the best they can in that, but they're going to have to beat these big schools head-to-head and win the high-profile matchups and achieve consistency. I think it's a great conference uh, for baseball. You know, it'd be interesting to see what happens when Wichita State comes in. I think it's a competitive, really interesting, fun-to-watch conference for baseball. But they're going, you know, point back to UCF and Florida State. You got to split those two at least when you have Florida State at home early on in the season. And I think at the time they were, weren't they, top ranked, second ranked in the country? Yep. I know they yeah. fell yep. after that, but that's yep. that, that's when these schools, these American schools, have got to make their mark and win those sorts of games to to, to get some eyeballs throughout the season. No, the highest. I'm looking through the RPI right now. The highest ranked team, highest ranked RPI team to not get in was uh, South Carolina. They were 32nd out of the SEC. They were 35 and 25, so they don't get in. At Florida Gulf Coast won the A-Sun outright. They were behind them. Uh, South Alabama just ahead of them. They won the Sun Belt outright. Um, but, yeah, interesting field. Now, I'm always going to ask this, Trace, because I, I, I've been saying this for years. You know, aside from golf, um. The, the the sport where UCF year in and year out I think may have the best chance to win a championship is baseball, and the Knights get in you know right now with a twenty you know twenty two RPI they have the pitching forty wins on the year they've shown that they can compete um, like we like we've talked about there have been some holes in the armor here and there but do you you know is this a team that could get to Omaha if things go their way the pitching to me indicates that it could be a team i don't expect that to happen uh, but that's a bit of the fatalist ucf fan <laughs> i've seen too many losses in too many unusual ways through the years to uh, fully believe that that run is possible but back to eric's point earlier would I have ever thought I'd see a deep NIT run by men's basketball coming off the season that it had the previous year or the NIT appearance by women's basketball? So for the whole sports year, it's been a, a season of surprising me that we were going where we went in so many sports. I think the pitching, the release pitching, uh, I think these guys have been loose throughout the year. I think that reflects on the manager, a big change in direction from Terry Rooney. Uh, you know, they've had ups and downs, obviously, 40-win season, but 20 losses, but not really horrible losses. The worst loss they had was the first game in the conference tournament, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I think the pitching can get them out of Tallahassee, and then, you know, then you're riding a wave of momentum, and who knows? If they get out of you it, have... then, the, then the other teams on the other side that they would play in that sort of super regional would be 
the winner of the bracket that includes Texas Tech, Arizona, Sam Houston State, and Delaware. Go ahead, Eric. Well, you've had a great view. You, you've been, I mean, people, I don't know if people realize, but Trace, I mean, you've been, you've been around the baseball program for a long time. Uh, so you've got a great perspective of what's been, the, what, what can you tell from being at the game and you've talked to Love Lady a lot? Talk about the difference this year as opposed to the last, you know, since 2012, where the program, I've said on record that the Terry Rooney era was defined by that 2012 regional in Coral Gables. They were one win away from advancing to the Super Regionals. Stony Brook came back, won the last two games. Ironically, one of the games they beat was Eric Skoglin, who's made some headlines this week. Uh, but ever since my UCF lost that regional in Miami to Stony Brook, I don't think that program ever recovered from that. And I think that's why the program went in decline. But now you've been around it. You've been around this year. Now looking back, was it a case, uh, is this a case of Greg Lovelady's tremendous coaching? Did we have more talent on the roster than we thought and maybe wasn't coached or motivated properly in the past? How would you break down the percentages of having been around this program here for a while and have a good pulse for kind of the, the temperature? Well, certainly you could tell the team was looser and was having more fun, but, you know, which comes first? Are they having more fun because they're winning, <laughs> right? Or are they, you yeah. know, having fun and they're winning and they're having more fun? I mean, which which of these things comes first? And obviously yeah. they were, uh, they faded down the stretch a lot during the Rooney era, you know, and that was one of the things Lovelady, I remember being at the uh, preseason media event and he was talking about the strength and the nutrition and uh, all of that. And then you look at Robbie Howell losing. 25, 30 pounds is just unbelievable to me that you have a college athlete, uh, your top starter, lose that much weight in the off season, and just made you really think about the uh, conditioning and the nutrition and all of that that was going on in the previous season. Uh, so, you know, I, it's a different tempo, but that's not uncommon, right? That you move from one, you're in one direction and you move in a different direction with the next coach. Uh, he he takes it one game at a time. Certainly, I mean, not to pull every cliche out, but, you know, he doesn't let them get too down, doesn't you know, have fun, and they certainly seem like they're having fun. You know, I think back to the uh, clinching against the Cows and, and that first inning, Sheridan was a little tight and then relaxed, and the team just rolled the rest of the way, had a good time and had fun and, and closed out and won the American uh, Conference regular season tournament. So, But if there is pressure, boy, it is in that first game. You don't want to lose that first game. And then you're, you know, the double elimination. Right, Boy, right. Beating Auburn. That's so important on Friday. Win that first game, well, you've got some momentum now. And I don't think you're as intimidated being in Tallahassee uh, playing with them all. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's so key. So that's why I'm interested in seeing, yep. you know, who. Love lady decides to throw out there, um, you know, for that first game. No, last last I, I, question goes to you, Eric. Trace, give me the you, you mentioned the bats, and I agree with you. I think the bats is my concern. I, I think we'll pitch well. It would not shock me if this is a low scoring game, especially with Auburn and UCF. Auburn's got two great arms themselves, but I am concerned about the bats. I thought they got manhandled by East Carolina there, and you're going to face better pitching this weekend. Who's the key guy in that lineup, in your opinion? that has to have a good regional for them to be successful? That's a good question. In some ways, I think that it is a person who I felt struggled during the conference tournament, and that's freshman Rylan Thomas. I, he, he just didn't have a lot of good at-bats. Now, Lovelady said, Coach Lovelady said in the lost East Carolina on Saturday that he didn't think anybody had any good at-bats, and, <laughs> yeah. and it really showed. So, I, you know, I, I think you've seen Eli Putnam be consistent, Luke Hamblin be consistent, and guys getting on base. But I think if Rylan Thomas can connect a little bit more and be back to where he was a couple of weeks ago, I think he's a big difference maker. And, boy, I'd like to have him coming back. You know, at 12 seniors, you know, and I think, Eric, uh, I believe it was when you were on uh, with Andrew and I on Nightline, I said, would we be where we are if this was a Terry Rooney coach team this year? And I didn't even finish the question. You went, no. Yeah. No, yeah. you know, so there's 12 seniors, and, and, you know, this is sort of the run you want to see with your seniors, but I, I like some of the, the freshmen, uh, you know, Joe Sheridan, and, and I certainly like Rylan Thomas. To me, it's it's Rylan Thomas. I, I want to see what he can do, and, uh, and you know, he's your big home run hitter. So he's got to get on base, and he's 
uh, he, to me, he's a king. Trace Trocal, yeah, the Nightline podcast on us, on on with us here at the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Trace, what do you guys uh, have coming up? Well, we're going to uh, talk about the baseball, obviously, and uh, you know we typically record on Sundays. We're not quite sure when we're going to record, depending on how <laughs> far UCF's run is over the weekend. Hopefully, uh, we've got baseball uh, uh, moving on to talk about, and it's funny. Uh, Andrew and I talked about how, you know, we're in the dog days of summer, and I know you're going to experience this on the Bannerette, but yet there's been so many things happening yeah. uh, and different postseason opportunities for men's golf and, you know, men's tennis and rowing. And it's nice to be uh, into June and still talking uh, yes. about UCF sports. So uh, we'll be talking about that. And, uh, you know, we appreciate uh, everybody that, that listens to uh, Nightline and follows us uh, on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline and Facebook and all of that. And there's, uh, it's nice to be in an environment where you got not one but two uh, groups of folks talking about UCF sports all year long. Sounds good, Trace. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you having us on uh, your show with uh, with Andrew, as always. And, uh, you know, like I said, we'll, be all, we'll all be watching the baseball and uh, – and uh, keeping track of everything that goes on with that. So thanks again, Trace. We'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Trace. Thanks again to Andrew for letting us, bar- letting us borrow him, even though I didn't ask Andrew. <laughs> it's, it's all Trace. Watch out, Andrew. I feel like, I feel like now in return we're going to have to like go to the, uh, the no, studios. No no no, 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 no. Listen, we've been, we've been on their show long enough. They need to come on our yeah. show now. We've been on, you and I have both that's, been on that show so yeah, many true. times. Uh, listen, they got they, they they got to come on our side, so we're going to make this happen, and we may have it have it happen a little bit more during the summer. All right, a couple things I wanted to um, get out there before we uh, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, football time, yep. kickoff times, and TV partners have been announced for this is according to UCF uh, on the website for three of UCF's first four uh, home games. So mark your calendars. Uh, the 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 first conference game, that early game against Memphis will be September the 9th, 8 p.m. ESPN News. The following week, September 16th, Georgia Tech, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN News. And then two weeks later, September 30th against Maine, 6.30 p.m. That's that cupcake game uh, against the Black Bears uh, on ESPN. They shuffle that down to ESPN uh, 3. A little note. Season opener against FIU is supposed to be announced in the next couple weeks, and uh, the that uh, game against Navy in Annapolis has been announced as a, a 3.30 p.m. kickoff on CBS Sports um, Network. So uh, little notes on football there. Nice getting a little play on ESPN for some non-conference games as usual, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ESPN News is kind of interesting they would go that route. I'm surprised that CBS Sports Network didn't pick up one of those games. Uh, a couple quick thoughts on that. Obviously, the Memphis game is a huge game. I do wonder, Jeff, let me ask, because they didn't announce the FIU game uh, start time yet, so that'll be announced in the next couple of weeks. I wonder if there's a chance that FIU game gets moved to a Thursday or Friday, and here's why. Memphis, UCF's opponent on September 9th, will open the season on Thursday night, so they'll get a couple extra days to prepare. If you're UCF and you're the staff, do you consider – if you're able to, obviously FIU would have to agree to it and the networks and all that, whatever. And they've done it before. FIU actually played at UCF on a Thursday night two years ago. So, I, you know, it's, right. do they move that game to Thursday or Friday to even the playing field there? Otherwise, you're kind of behind this two days in preparation for that Memphis game, which is a very big game, very big I, game. I wonder if that's the reason why they're holding off on yes. announcing that starting time. So they're try- I wonder if they're trying to negotiate that. I, I do wonder that myself. So, and I don't blame them. I would do the same thing. I, you know, Memphis. I, you know, when I was up in Greenville and talking to people, and even in Clearwater, I mean, a lot of there's going to be high expectations for Memphis. Some people think that Memphis or Tulsa might actually be the best teams in the conference. USF's going to get a lot of hype, uh, but they have an easy schedule. But I think Memphis and Tulsa could be the team that ends up winning the conference. So, if you're Scott Frost and UCF, and you have a young defense getting ready for that Memphis, you might want to get a couple extra days there and kind of even the playing field. So that's my thought as far as the, that situation. Interesting. Keep the Georgia Tech. Yeah. Georgia, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech, September 16th. 
7.30 at night. Nobody's fought at this. This was way in advance as far as the dates were concerned. The one negative there is is the 7.30 kick. That's going to be up head-to-head with Florida State-Miami, which will be the ABC night uh, 8 o'clock game from Tallahassee. And that's a game that's drawn very well locally in Central Florida from a television rating standpoint. Uh, you also have the fact that Florida is hosting Tennessee that day at 3.30. I'm definitely concerned about attendance in that game. I think everybody assumes that's going to be a sellout. I have my questions about that, Jeff. I don't know what your thoughts on that, but I don't like the fact, and there's nothing they, nobody can do about it. It's bad luck. I mean, who would have thought FSU Miami would be on September 16th? Who would have thought? I do have concerns going head-to-head. I think they're going to lose some uh, people that might have gone to that game that might stay home to watch that game or maybe go to Tallahassee to watch the game. Who knows? I would be more concerned with that if the opponent was like Maine. Uh, if it's Georgia Tech, I think that the fans are going to come out. They're going to come out. So I could be wrong, though, but we'll see. Uh, I feel like they'll use, I think they'll lose a few casual fans on that, but we'll see. And we'll obviously right. document. We'll talk more about that in turn. The next question, real quick for you, mm-hmm. is George O'Leary obviously was honored at the Tulsa game last season with the statue and everything, but he coached at Georgia Tech. It seems to me it would make a lot of sense if he's at this game, maybe does the coin toss or something like that, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think I would think he would have to be there for that in some ways, it matter for him. I don't know what they would have planned, but yeah, I, I would say that. Yeah, yeah. Aren't if, you? You got to you got to have him there. You got to have him in the. Building. And the, the thing that I'm surprised about, and I don't want to get into whether he deserves a statue and all that stuff. I'm surprised that they didn't wait till that Georgia Tech game if they were going to do the statue to unveil it then. But you know, they uh, they uh, you know it was. I mean, again, this was more. I don't think the UCF was involved in this as much as some of the alumni. I think that was be the football boosters. I think may have uh, pushed there, this more than you know. But there may yeah. have been some other reasons, which maybe one day we'll get to. But I'm, health, maybe I'm health, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah, we'll leave that. We'll leave that one there for right there, but we'll probably talk about it a little bit more. Um, golf. Yeah. All right. Knights got to the NCAA uh, national championships at uh, just outside of Chicago. They got to day. Uh, they got through. They got through the fifty-four hole cut, um, but finished in. But finished tied for fourteenth with Florida State. Did not advance to the final round, which. In the NCAA, the top eight teams advanced to a match play championship. Um, uh, so the Knights finished in 14th. They were 29 over par total as a team. It's a pretty tough course out there and some really good competition. Um, it was Oregon, or excuse me, it was Oklahoma State who came away with the uh, national championship there. So um, as far as the players uh, themselves were concerned, high finisher for UCF, Kyler Tate finished 23. Third, um, he finished uh, plus or plus one for the uh, tournament. Um, had a rough third day. Otherwise, he would have been uh, he would have been he, he would have had a really he would you know been able to put up a really low score because um, yeah, he finished with a two eighty nine for the tournament. And then Bobby Bobby Bai finished uh, tied for thirty ninth individually. So uh, Manuel Elvira also tied when. Uh, and Yuso Carlos tied uh, tied at seventy second for UCF. So, congratulations to UCF. Bryce Waller once again making it to the NCAA championships and a job uh, well done uh, right there. And also, as we a uh, couple couple more news and notes that I wanted to finish out here. Rowing finished program best, eighteenth place at the NCAA championships in West Windsor, New Jersey, just outside of Trenton. Um, uh, they had uh, two boats in the C finals. Um, 28 points overall, just ahead of Gonzaga, who finished with 25 in the team standings. Um, varsity, uh, varsity four was looking strong, finished, uh, 20th overall, um, battling with Navy down the stretch and, uh, and, and credit also to, you know, all the, uh, uh, credit by the way to Megan Herboth, who's keeping an eye on this all the, uh, you know, for us, uh, on UCFnights.com. Um, two spots higher than last year, so that's good. And congrats to Becky Kramer again. Um, for uh, an excellent jo- uh, for an excellent season. By the way, Varsity Eight—that's the big boat. Best finish ever in the NCAA's. They were sixth place, um, at six forty-eight, four forty-nine. So, uh, congrats again to Becky and her crew uh, for another outstanding job. And a little basketball hire that I wanted to pass along. So, um, Johnny Dawkins announced um, that he is filling one hole in his coaching staff uh vince taylor who is an assistant coach 
uh, for Texas Tech. He's coming to UCF. Um, he is uh, replaced by uh, he replaces Jamil Jones, who um, is headed to Wake Forest. But uh, Coach Taylor comes over from Texas Tech, where previously worked with Tubby Smith. Tubby Smith, of course, now the head coach at Memphis. So um, Taylor, who by the way has has played uh, uh, played pro ball after actually he played uh, he was a teammate uh, or not a teammate but a, uh, a another former Dukey um, graduated in 1987 ten years of pro ball uh, coached at Louisville and Minnesota actually coached eight years in Minnesota and 15 years at Louisville uh, before coming to UCF so uh, welcome to Coach Vince he's on board. And of course, well, he was at also at Texas Tech. I mean, yeah, he's coming over to Tech with Tubby Smith. I mean, he's, three years uh, at three years yeah. at Tech under Tubby. Yeah, and and what's funny is uh, he was actually on Tuck and O'Neill a year ago. I actually booked him. <laughs> yeah, uh, when he was Texas Tech assistant. I'm not even. And this was right around the time frame that Dawkins got hired. Uh, you know, we had him on for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, the big the, the final four weekend. It was the final four weekend. And he had played, obviously, Texas Tech has played Oklahoma, and they had played, you know. So we break down the final four, but we also want him to talk about Johnny Dawkins a little bit. And he knows Coach Dawkins because when Dawkins was coming out for his recruiting trips up at Duke, it was Taylor um, that would show him around at Duke and stuff like that. And so they go way back. They go way back. And uh, I think it's a great hire. And, I, I, I again, Johnny Dawkins, and, and let's not even lose fact, scheduling Alabama home and home, and Missouri home and home, hmm. uh, according to John Rothstein of CBSSports.com, reporting that uh, for fan rags, talking about Missouri will come here next year, uh, here in December, coming up in December. And what's significant about that is that Missouri will have the number one rated player coming out of high school who could be a lottery pick in Porter will be playing for Missouri, and they're, he's going to be at the arena. UCF will go to Alabama, according to the reports, Avery Johnson, of course, the former NBA head coach with the Dallas Mavericks, now head coach at Alabama. Uh, so Coach Dawkins here, Jeff, toughing up the schedule a little bit with Alabama, with Missouri. Remember, they're going to be playing at the tournament at Disney, which West Virginia is in that, um, with Taco Fall coming back and everything. Coach Dawkins ain't messing around. He said he's going to toughen up the schedule, and he is. They, they're going to make a big push for post the NCAAs next year, and uh, – uh, so those are some big, interesting news that maybe some people go under the radar, but those are significant news you just mentioned. With the hire of Coach Taylor, I think it's a great fit. And then, you know, the scheduling Missouri and Alabama, according to the reports for uh, John Rosting, uh, that's a significant uh, stage, you know, as far as a significant upgrade in the scheduling, which we haven't seen here, quite honestly, in a long time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. By the way, that's Michael Porter Jr., who's Thank the – uh, who's the uh, young player for Mizzou who's highly touted, and um, people are going to be excited about that coming in uh, for uh, for UCF schedule. All right, let's wrap it up here. Uh, Ela, what do you got coming up this week? Well, I'm hosting the Saturday Insider Show. We'll have live reports from Tallahassee going on in the regionals there. Uh, so, you know, we'll have that going on. Obviously, produce Ackerman and O'Neill during the week. But, uh, hey. We'll be uh, be watching baseball, be watching the regionals, hoping uh, following UCF from pitch to pitch uh, on the ESPN two again. I want to make it out ESPN two on Friday. I don't even know if base UCF baseball has been on an ESPN or ESPN two uh, baseball wise for a television game. They've been on CBS Sports Network. They've obviously been on ESPN three, but they'll be on ESPN two uh, at noon against Auburn, which tells you how much ESPN thinks that's a really good matchup. So. Uh, looking just just excited to see the baseball program back in postseason and following it uh, all weekend. Good stuff. And uh, I wanted to pass along thanks uh, to some guys that we know. Um, before we go, I wanted to thank uh, the American Athletic Conference for um, them being kind enough to allow me to do some fill-in play-by-play at the American Athletic Conference baseball tournament. Did two games, both of them involving Memphis. One of them was the highest-scoring game in uh, American Athletic Conference history, Memphis beat Cincinnati 15-14 to 14 in 10 innings. And then we had another thriller a couple days later with Memphis against uh, UConn. Memphis you know, had it right down to the end before uh, UConn was able to snuff out a uh, late rally. But 
thanks. Real unfortunate. Thanks. Really unfortunate. Yeah, real unfortunate, by the way. The UConn did not make the field, as we talked right. about with Trent. Really unfortunate on that. But, yeah, it's uh, a real bummer for Jim Penders. That was a good team. But, um, boy, boy, did uh, Houston look good uh, in that yep. tournament in the process of beating them. Uh, as well. And thanks to thanks to the American, thanks to the guys at L2 Productions too, Scott Reeling and uh, and Carl Harper and all the guys over there. And also thanks to Mr. Play-by-Play himself, Garrett Wolverd, who is a excellent uh, excellent broadcast partner, and Jeff Brightwell uh, as well, the guy for uh, the uh, play-by-play guy from Memphis, who is uh, you know both those guys are total pros on the air, and uh, and uh, they do a really good job of making me sound smarter than I actually am. So. Um, so thanks again to those guys for a great weekend. And that's going to do it, Elo. We're all set. It's ba- college baseball time. Here we go. I'm excited. Can't on the wait, road man. To Omaha, a baby. A little bit, a couple, couple years late, but here we are on the road to Omaha. <laughs> Better late than never, man. All right, brother. Thanks again. Sorry, bud. And thanks to you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week.